I also remember a flight when I was trying to save myself from Outlandic at 200 meters AGL, 95 kilometers away uh, from my home airfield and the stress I felt. This is Soaring the Sky, a glider pilot's podcast, coming to you from the Mid-Atlantic region here in the United States and bringing you great soaring content from glider pilots all over the globe. We now join Chuck and our guest pilot. Hey, everybody. I'm Mitch Thompson, producer of Soaring the Sky. So Chuck gets to have this week off, and I get to jump on the mic and do this episode's feature interview. Uh, we're fortunate enough to have with us Barbara Maratsova. Um, sorry, Barbara, if I mispronounced that. A.K.A. Gliding Junkie on Instagram uh, with us this week. And it's great to get her back on the pod and share with you um, some of her experiences from the 2021 season and just overall catch up since the last time we had her on the show, which was um, quite some time ago now. And speaking of time, it has been flying uh, it, with life in general and, and this podcast and now we've built up something over 150,000 plus downloads, I think, and we're ranking top five in, in most major countries around the world where soaring is a, is a thing. So really happy uh, with the growth of the show and the number of new people that are coming on board uh, every week. It's, it's really great to see that. And it was always our goal to expand the sport of soaring beyond just the, the confines of current and really active glider pilots to other people that might just be adjacently interested or curious uh, about our great sport. We couldn't do all this without, of course, the great guests that we've had on the show and certainly not without all the, uh, the, the great listeners that have come on board and, and stuck with us throughout this whole crazy journey. Please feel free to reach out if you or someone you know wants to be on the show and please of course share our podcast with all your friends and family that might find this interesting um, also like with all podcasts um, if you haven't already please give us a review um, on your your podcast app of choice but anyway let's uh let's dive uh into the interview with barbara it was a lot of fun to catch up with her and we think you're going to really enjoy this episode and so without further ado, Barbara Maratsova, the gliding junkie. Barbara, welcome back to the show. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mitch. It's been, My pleasure. <laughs> uh, it's been a while since we did a full interview segment with you. And uh, since then, we've picked up uh, many thousands of new listeners. So um, might be a good idea if we could uh, just get you to maybe start with a short intro of your aviation story um, and how you got into soaring uh, sailplanes and racing and and all that all that good stuff okay uh, well hi Mitch thank you for having me uh, once again on the podcast because um, you grew so fast and you grew so well and I really love to to listen to the podcast and other pilots all around the world so just to briefly introduce myself, uh, I'm Barbara, uh, I'm from the Czech Republic and I fly since, uh, I've been flying since 2012 
uh, in Zbraslavica Ira Club, thanks to my parents who are both members there too. Uh, and I'm Czech Women Gliding team member and I participated at uh, Women World 2019 and Junior World 2019. Uh, I currently fly LS8 and I'm also a gliding instructor and I'm a member of Czech Sporting Commission. And uh, I have no idea how, how um, I found the pure joy out of uh, competitions because nobody in, in my family mm-hmm. uh, enjoyed that that well. They just enjoy flying uh, just as it is. Mm-hmm. So uh, this is something I don't know, I don't know but uh, I find it really joyful and really beautiful. So, so both your parents are soaring pilots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my, my dad is also a tow pilot. So uh, we have it like, like a full team uh, because my mom is uh, also um, a scorer uh, at uh, gliding competitions. So it is always like a family, a family stuff when there is a competition in Czech Republic. So let me guess um, who was your tow pilot for your solo? <laughs> that was my dad, obviously. <laughs> Right. Uh, that's that's great. Um, how how did that go? By the way, how did your were you were you really well, were you more was, nervous having your dad towing you or or less nervous? Well, um, I actually find, found out uh, like last minute that I'm going solo because I didn't really expect that because I'm always unsatisfied with with my performance. Uh, speaking about gliding. Mm-hmm. So uh, I was I was like really really sad that um, it's not going ahead. But then uh, I flew with one instructor. He told me, "Okay, this could be just the examination before solo. So you, so now you go solo. Everybody knew, but except of me. So <laughs> I found that really last minute. So I didn't really have time to to start being nervous or something." And you probably did that on purpose, just uh, you yeah. Know, I think so. I think so. <laughs> you wouldn't. I think so. I'm really glad they did that like this because, uh, in case I knew in advance, I would be so nervous and yeah, you wouldn't, wouldn't be really, really that good, right? And and uh, just be too nervous. So that yeah. that's uh, that's cool. So yeah, so 2020 um, was pretty bad with you know COVID. Um, and all that relative to the competition soaring. Um, but it seems like things improved a little bit uh, in, in, uh, for the 2021 season. Uh, the season 20 and 21 was a bit uncertain because most of the world competitions were cancelled or postponed somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, during God knows which wave it was, uh, a national championship uh, in Czech Republic received an exception again. Nice with uh, really strict measures, but we were all glad we could compete at last. We enjoyed the wave camp too this year, finally. So um, I think that after all, it could have been much worse. Where, where was the wave camp? <laughs> uh, where? Uh, it was at Yeseniki Mountains in Czech Republic, um, as, all, as every year. But last year it was cancelled, and luckily this year uh, we could do it. After all, uh, even though we were really, really worried if another lockdown would strike, but luckily it it also happened, so we could enjoy the last joy of the season as well. 
Nice. And what what kind of uh, what kind of altitudes do you do you typically get there on a on a good? Well, I was pretty unlucky this year because both of the best days of the two weeks uh, of wave camp, I had to work. So <laughs> I was just sadly sitting, uh, sitting like inside in in warmth at uh, and uh, was watching others uh, on the tracking, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, <laughs> but uh, it was amazing. Others gained uh, or, or uh, flew at heights around seven kilometers QNH. So like really at the, at the highest sailing allowed, uh, speaking about wave uh, areas. So it was pretty amazing. And um, we enjoyed sunny weather. There were like out of the of the two weeks, there were two or three days that it was raining or it was mm-hmm. um, like really cloudy. So otherwise, it was really great experience to be there for the whole two weeks. Even though I didn't fly the best days, but others enjoy that. So I was glad it was a sex- successful uh, wave camp. It was good. And, and does air traffic control um, open a? a window specifically for that camp or or uh well uh we we have an agreement with uh with like czech organization that controls the airspace over the czech republic Mm -hmm. and uh we are lucky enough that uh those areas might be activated throughout the year uh because in the past it worked like there were only those two weeks when those airspaces were allowed for for gliders. And now uh, you just have to call a day before and activate the, the airspace. And good thing is that those airspaces are not really like in the path of, uh, of commercial flying. Mm-hmm. So it's not that strict for the commercial flying as well. Of course, it is it is um, under a co- coordination with both sides. So we have to maintain those airspaces, as we um, don't do any de- any violations of the of the areas or airspaces. The other side is really willing to help us. So there mm-hmm. is a great deal, and uh, we are trying to to maintain it for the next years. Yeah, that's that's fantastic. Sounds like. You guys get a lot of support from, you know, your local government and, you know, supporting agencies and and whatnot. That's that's fantastic. Yeah, we're really grateful for this because not everywhere works. It, it not 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 everywhere it works like that, and uh, of course it is like a great um, coordination and discussion between all those uh, all those uh, organizations like civil mm. civil or, or sport flying uh, organizations and the official organizations in charge of controlling the airspace. So um, all those people who are involved are like the biggest heroes for us, for all our wave pilots, because they are those people who are responsible for the deal. So yeah, huge thanks for them. (laughs) Fantastic. So sticking with um, 2021 racing uh, for a minute, um, it was great to see a, a woman pilot from Germany, Katrin uh, Senna, uh, do so great at the uh, Sailplane Grand Prix World Final. Um, I think that was in September. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. my, my guess is uh, you and, and many of your fellow women glider pilots from all over the world were, were rooting for her. And I, I bet she offers up a lot of inspiration for younger uh, pilots who see what she's been been doing. Yeah, well, I don't know how others or other pilots, but I so love to follow uh, sailplane Grand Prix races, like all of the races. And I was so glad that there were two women nominated for the Grand Prix, like Melanie and Katrin. I was so happy Katrin did so well and came fourth total, beating one of my gliding idols, <laughs> Tyler Holigos. And I always cheer for women pilots all around the world uh, because when I see such success, it motivates me that next time it might be me or any other woman in the world who is aspiring or trying to achieve something in gliding. So, yeah, this is really a great motivation for all of the pilots, like all of the female pilots that uh, want to do something or want to achieve something in gliding. So this is really amazing. Yeah, because unlike a lot of sports, the, there really isn't anything, you know, from a from a physical perspective or or anything really holding you know, women back from competing um, at, at the you know highest level with the best, you know, men pilots, right? I mean it's 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 really a, a mental I mean, there's a physical aspect to it, but it doesn't rely yeah. on, mm-hmm. you know, brute strength and all that, all that stuff. So it, you would expect over time that, uh, yeah, more and more women will get in there and, and mix it up and, and hopefully post yeah. some, some great results like that um, again. Well, it is, it is really hard to, um, to compare women and, and men in gliding because we like have different ways of, of, of gliding or competing. Like those women who are really successful among men, uh, they do the difference. So they show others that it's possible to be as good as, as men. As you said, it's not about any physical physical strength or something. It's about like mental strength and um, that you can cope with the stress, that you can cope with all those ideas, all those ways you can choose. And um, yeah, well, this was really great success and oh, just wow. <laughs> well, maybe, yeah, maybe, uh, maybe it'll be you, you someday in the, in, the, in the Grand Prix there. I'm working on that, <laughs> working yeah. on that. I'm far away from that, but I'm working on that and I'm really motivated and I hope to uh, keep my consistency in my preparations. Uh, so hopefully one day it will be me as well. Wings and Wheels has been serving the soaring and sport aviation community for over 30 years. They hands down have the largest and most comprehensive inventory of sailplane and soaring supplies in North America. And they ship globally. Nearly everything you'll find on their site is in stock and ready for same-day shipping. Wings and Wheels is the exclusive American representative for HPH sailplanes. Be sure to check out the Twin Shark, their latest launch. The team has thousands of hours of flying experience in gliders and airplanes. Staffed by Adam, Kelly, Julie, and Sean. A friendly voice will answer when you call or email them. Check them out at wingsandwheels.com. So with um, 2022 coming up here on the horizon, um, what, are, what are your goals for uh, 22? And have you firmed up any 
uh, commitments for competitions that you'll be attending or um yeah I always write down my goals for for the for the upcoming season um so i hope to compete at all the national championships czech republic will will um help or organize so it it will be a national championship and czech regional championship and also my home ira club organizes az cup which is like the first competition of the season each year which was sadly cancelled due to covid this year mm-hmm. so hopefully next year it will work out uh with the situation and everything and so i can compete at uh my home as well and luckily the czech nationals will be organized by my home ira club as well so i will be at my home basically so Oh, great. Yeah, I have really high hopes uh, for next year. I always have high hopes. Uh, I always have those dream uh, goals. Then I have those realistic goals. And I try to meet uh, yeah. meet some kind in the middle of, of those two uh, dream and realistic goals. So, yeah, we will see what next season brings. Uh, we are still waiting for the nominations for women worlds uh so hopefully i will be among those the, those uh, women who will compete in in england so we will see <laughs> all righty well yeah good luck with um good luck with that and uh we can check back uh maybe you know later in 22 with you and see how see how some of that stuff turned out yeah <laughs> definitely so putting aside the competition and just the race results and and all that um for a moment could can you share with listeners um a single flight from 2021 that was really memorable for you for for whatever um reason and you know just a just a soaring flight that that you know sticks out in your mind and something that you'll remember mm-hmm. And what made it special? Well, it's really hard to pick only one flight <laughs> because uh, there were quite a few memorable flights this year. Uh, so um, it was uh, it was my first six uh, hundred kilometer triangle. Uh, it was my daily third place at Czech Nationals in fifty meter class on a three hours AAT between rain showers or maybe some wave flying during this year's wave camp and. I also remember a flight when I was trying to save myself from Outlandic at 200 meters AGL, 95 kilometers away from my home airfield at 2 p.m. And the stress I felt as I had to start my duty at work at 5 p.m. So there are really many flights that I remember this year. Let's go to that one then. Talk about the uh, (laughs) talk about how you got into that to that kind of spot where you you said you were um you said you were 200 meters yeah it was pretty low i already picked my field to mm-hmm. land and um i remember if if i took a video out of the flight it would be really funny because i was talking to the gliding guard and i was saying please god please give me the thermal i need i will just go home and be happy that i flew please do it and and so i was i was talking like this then i was um 
I, I used some really, really bad language about my idea to fly on that day <laughs> because the forecast really said because the, uh, there were cumulus clouds all over uh, and there were some pretty, pretty nice thermals on the way to the first turn point where I happened to be at two, 200 meters AGL on my way back. And um, the forecast said that the cumulus clouds will disappear, but I expected that um, there will be still some strong thermals or reasonable thermals uh, in the blue, but there weren't. So I was I, I really uh, used a rude and bad language uh, on my person that uh, I had that bad idea to to fly on that day, but. I really wanted to do some training and luckily I, I saved myself from the two meters AGL and um, came back home. But so, so the gods yeah. were the, the gliding gods. Uh, yes. <laughs> talked back to you, I guess, even yeah. after all your bad language. Um, what one thing I've, I'm always curious, especially with the low saves, because it seems like, you know, in my much more limited experience that, than you, of course, but it just seems like the the closer you are to terrain and the source of thermal activity, the 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 tighter and smaller the um you know the, the thermal is, and so you know engaging in a thermal that's that low to the ground, um, do you, do you have to you know bank in it at a, at a very extreme bank angle to stay in it or uh, well, really. Um, usually, because I I happen to be this low many many times this year, um, I wish I I I hadn't got myself into such situations that often, but but I did unfortunately. But uh, I always do sharp turns because um, that that's that's how I learned to thermal. I like to to feel the thermal, like the strength of it in the sharp turns. So um, it doesn't really change um, like lower uh, in lower heights. So uh, when I'm pretty sure about the thermal, I do the sharp turn. But sometimes during the low saves this year, I had to like make it a bit wider and a bit mm -hmm. uh, shallow because the thermal was really weak. And uh, as it was weak and I, I just had to to feel the glider to 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 not to sing. So sometimes I was just thermaling half a circle up and um, then a zero or plus or positive zero at the other half of the turn. So it really depends on the situation and right. um, I always try to feel it like from the bottom, uh, as most of the gliders say. So or glider pilots say sorry. So yeah. it really depends. Sometimes or or maybe maybe twice I really thermaled from like the very low height, almost uh, at the circuit height. I really got a strong thermal, but it really doesn't happen to me that often. And usually the thermal gets stronger the higher I get. So maybe I do something wrong, but this is how I experienced that this year so when you say steep a relatively steep bank angle you're talking what 50 well yeah like 50, 45 50, is the minimum uh to me 
Sometimes yeah. I do it sharper. Sometimes I, I do it like more to the 40 uh, degrees. It really depends, or or I try to I try to not to think about it. I just try to feel it, and the stronger yeah. the thermal gets, the the sharper I I do the turn, uh, okay. just so I can stay in the strongest center of the of the thermal. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Fantastic. So, uh, well, and now now it is kind of off off season. So this leads into the next um, the next question. So. When does your your season there typically wind down and everybody packs up their gliders? Um, and what do you do in the off season to stay sharp? You know, whether that's reading, you know, books or watching YouTubes or maybe travel down to some southern hemisphere soaring sites or Condor. Maybe you could talk a minute about kind of your off season? Well, the thermal season typically ends in September in Czech Republic. Sometimes it's like in the beginning, sometimes it's in the end of September. We manage to fly like a really, really short task uh, in the thermals, really the last day of September. But uh, the rest of the September wasn't really uh, thermal friendly. So um, it really depends. Almost immediately, uh, the the thermal season is followed by a wave season. So uh, for me, the season ends uh, mid-November when the wave camp like ends. And um, since then, I only fly occasionally when the weather allows us to, because um, as I'm an instructor, sometimes we we manage to uh, to do some flying with the students. Uh, but nowadays the weather really doesn't cooperate for any flying, so it's not that easy. Um, so when the season ends, I usually go through all my flights or those ones I, I remember the best. And I usually compare my competition flights with flights of day winners immediately after flight. But I feel like it is great to do it once again with some kind of a hindsight. So um, I do it like twice uh, and usually I try to take those IGC files uh, of people. I remember that we're probably flying with me or we bumped into, into each other during the task or something. I also read Soaring Engine books uh, by G. Dale uh, every year uh, to refresh the knowledge. I, I also watch YouTube videos and... Um, now I also plan to explore uh, some flights on WeGlide, uh, if you've heard of that, some kind of a new OLC. <laughs> I think that also a mental preparation is really underestimated in our sport. So I yeah. also try to devote uh, some time to this part of the preparation. And uh, you mentioned Condor, and I really love the idea of flying Condor during winter, but I'm afraid I would find a new addiction. <laughs> so um, I'm kind of uh, like rolling over that. Uh, but I really like the idea because most of the uh, pilots on top uh, flew Condor once in a while and helped help them uh, do some kind of a tactics preparation. So I think it's really not that bad. And maybe it's my mistake that I'm, that, um, I'm kind of avoiding that. 
Our longtime sponsor of the show, the Soaring Academy, is engaged in nonprofit outreach work with local area veterans and also with young people for the STEM programs at their top-notch glider port facility just outside of Los Angeles, nestled near the north side of the San Gabriel Mountains. They also have a fantastic flight school and are continuing to turn out great glider pilots every month. If you like to donate to their nonprofit initiatives or learn more about their flight school, go to soaringacademy.org or check them out on Instagram at Soaring Academy. Well, it's also to be able to look at some some other, um, you can look at other landscapes yeah. or if, if it's a competition you've never you've never, you know, you've never flown in that area yeah. um, at a minimum, it's good to be able to get kind of a three-dimensional mm-hmm. perspective of, of some, you know, some new place. Actually, I, I flew, uh, I flew from Lesse, uh, which is like a default airport in Condor. And uh, it's in Slovenia, uh, in the Alps. And uh, like a few right. years ago, I think it was it was six years ago, we went there for for a few days uh, to fly. Mm-hmm. And um, like a few weeks earlier, uh, we trained uh, or trained. We just tried to get familiar with the area because uh, it was the first time for us we flew in the mountains. So um, it really helped. Also speaking about the orientation in the area because, as we flew, we knew where we are, where we should go, or where we shouldn't go. So this is really the greatest preparation for any area to which you weren't, like yet. So yeah, I definitely, definitely, this is a good thing. So yeah, now we are getting to it. It's my mistake that I'm avoiding that. <laughs> so, well, for younger pilots that don't have a lot of cross-country experience um one other cool thing is that you can you can use a like an udi or you know even a tablet running mm-hmm. you know xcsor or something and you can actually use the um the flight computer mm-hmm. um, with condor so that you can kind of learn how to navigate around your screens and you know where you're swiping and how you're you know where you're clicking and do all that stuff on the ground so so you don't have to uh you know to figure that out up in the air well yeah i i, I agree that it might be like a great kind of a low cost low cost preparation tool yeah so yeah, yeah definitely yeah you also mentioned travel tra- traveling to southern hemisphere well um, yes. Well, each it, it would be my dream to travel there each winter, but it is financially demanding. So, yes. It's so it's something I can't afford at the moment, but it is definitely one of the goals. Uh, there are some Czech guys now, uh, uh, like in Namibia, so and they are flying uh, thousand kilometer tasks, and it is really amazing to to watch them. And it would be really great to join them sometime. So uh, maybe I will try the Condor as um, like most affordable way to try it. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah. And speaking of Namibia, I just saw the um, uh, Stefan Longer's latest uh, speaking of thousand mm-hmm. kilometer flights or whatever, but yeah, where he, they're, they're landing basically as the sun is setting and a uh, big overdeveloped yeah. um there's some big storms off on their left and, and that was, that was really cool. Yeah. So 
sticking with the, the, the YouTube theme for a minute. Um, now we're going to try a, a, a new segment I've been wanting to, to do for a, a few months now. Um, and I, and I thought it'd be better for me to be the Guinea pig instead of, uh, uh, Chuck, because I, I actually have no idea if this is going to work or not, but, but basically we're going to try to talk about a few interesting videos we've seen recently uh, up on YouTube and, and not only the popular mainstream creators that have been out there and, and have big followings, but, but also uh, maybe some new creators or just more fringe pieces of video that we found interesting and could make for engaging uh, conversation. And for reference, of course, we'll toss up links uh, to the videos we talk about in the show notes. And for you listeners out there, if you're around a screen um, and you have a few minutes, you might want to just pause the, the podcast and, and just pop over to YouTube, um, watch the videos real quick, and then come back um, over and, and, and finish listening up uh, the episode. And if you can't do that, just listen along and, and we'll try to describe um, the, the videos a little bit as we as we go along. So, uh, so Barbara, you, you ready for, for this, uh, this new kind of segment? Yeah, I'm well ready. I have my notes, uh, on the videos and, um, I'm really in- interested if the listeners would enjoy this. Me too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so let's do it. There we go. So the first one was a YouTube <laughs> titled unexpected outlanding. I am terribly sorry for. <laughs> well, yeah, um, I think that the title says it all. <laughs> and to be honest, I was I was waiting for the whole video. Uh, what what will what will actually happen? Because there is just a guy sitting in the cockpit and uh, still trying to to figure out something on the phone on the navigation, probably. So, uh, yeah, I was thinking about the weather, what was going on in the video, because uh, I I realized, okay, this is a final glide. So, um, so what what is he going to do? Because uh, there were there were actually some cumulus lines to the left and to the right, and I was a bit bit confused that he flew just straight in the middle between those lines so i was like okay maybe he's really sure that he will he will make it to to the airfield and uh yeah that the ending it was really um that that kind of oh my god this escalated quickly so <laughs> um the the final of the video was really uh to me it was really horrifying to be honest <laughs> Yeah, well, I, so it's funny. I sometimes with these videos, and especially when they're more than a few minutes long, I I, I find myself fast forwarding um, to the end, and and sort of you know, and then work backwards. Like, okay, well, what what was this guy sorry for? Um, and then I so I did that, and I, and I was like, wow, that's you know that that's sketchy. And then I kind of went back to the beginning, and then just followed through and you know, yeah, I noticed some of the same things, um, you know, what with the, the energy lines and also just, it just seemed like he was going, um, unnecessarily fast. Yeah. He was probably losing, you know, he's burning altitude that he, that he didn't really need to, um, cause he was just, you know, going, going super, super quick. Yeah. 
Um, but, but yeah, that last bit there, and he had, it just seemed like there was a lot of good candidate, you know, paddocks and fields to land in. And then, yeah, that, that last turn was, was, yeah, really pretty. I think it was really unnecessary because um, it was a really sharp turn, uh, really close to the ground. And this is something that um, shouldn't really happen. And as you said, there were many paddocks all around, uh, which he could probably use for a direct landing, which would be really like better, speaking about the safety. Right. We, uh, well, he handled the situation pretty well after all because um, he saved himself, he saved the glider, but I think it was pretty necess- unnecessary. Um, as um, as I understood, it was uh, Lithuania flying mm-hmm. and um, as the juniors told me some experiences, there are, there are really areas with short and small fields to land, but this area where um, our creator of the video was flying. Uh, there were pretty long fields and it d- didn't really look like it, that there was something, some, some grain, like tall grain or something. So, yeah, I think that I totally understand why the creator of the video said mm-hmm. um, unexpected outlining. I'm terribly sorry for. And I also read the comment below and like below the video from the creator, from the author of the video. And uh, he wrote there that uh, it is really hard to watch videos uh, from from his gliding past. Uh, And uh, I, I totally agree. It's really not that easy to go back to all those, all this stuff you, you did, but it is great for, for others to learn. So, um, yeah, I would call uh, this video, don't do this at home, kids. <laughs> right. But, yeah, but but really, really priceless material uh, for, for everybody to learn. Yeah, and it's great. And it's great that he shared it with, because not everybody wants to share things yeah. they're sorry for. And, um, and, and that's pretty brave actually because uh, everybody just wants to wants to be um, like a hero on social media right and um, this is something that should happen like more often to just to show others that nobody's perfect and that you can learn from your own mistakes and from the mistakes of others so yeah well clapping hands from this for this guy that he posted the video. And and how about you whether it's racing or just recreational instruction do you do you stick a GoPro in your in your cockpit and ever go go back and 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 look at at footage or you just find it distracting and just don't do that at all or what's your perspective? Well, um sometimes I I take a phone and and video something uh, but I find this um, a bit of distraction uh, f- for me because I'm trying to focus on what's happening. And usually it's not a problem for me to uh, like replay the flight uh, after the flight. And um, some, sometimes I put some notes uh, on a paper regarding the flight, like do this, don't do this, or... 
yeah, like the pluses and minuses, what what I did like wrong, what I what I did right to to my opinion. And but but I think that it is really not that bad idea to put a Go GoPro which you can just um turn on, start recording, and you just don't have to like care about it uh for for the rest of the battery life. And it is really great to do it from time to time because you find uh, like those bad habits you have in the cockpit. Because once I found myself still trying to control the plane, still moving with the stick somewhere, and it was really unnecessary. So it is really mm -hmm. great for also for those small habits you can do in in the cockpit, which is which are not really that good to do. Indeed. So from time to time, it's really good to, to try, but I don't do it that often, um, to be honest. Got it. All right. So, so next up on our um, YouTube list here, uh, this, this YouTube was titled A Glider Stall at the Ridge. Remember to Fly Fast. Um, and again, the title pretty much says it, but, um, but, uh, Barbara, how about you just briefly summarize the video and, and what were some of your thoughts and where this was in, um, I'm going to say, uh, Italy in the Alps somewhere. Yeah. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. I think so. It was, it was somewhere in the Alps in Italy. And uh, basically in the video, uh, there is a two-seater, I suppose, two-seater flying uh, a ridge. And um, there were pretty nice comments uh, from uh, the author of the video. And um, as you said, the title says it all, uh, fast, fly fast. And um, uh, because reach flying is basically low flying with less time to think about your reaction. What will you do? So, um, firstly, I love the commentary of the author that um, you have to feel it with your lovely bottom. Mm -hmm. So that was a nice expression to say that your bottom feeling is important during gliding or flying in general. But I think that this video is exactly what G. Dale says in the Soaring Engine Volume 1 uh, in Rich Flying Chapter, because um, there are some basic rules of flying the rich, and uh, the author says it all. Uh, you, fly, you have to fly at safe speed, but um, the author of the video in one of the comments says mm -hmm. that... Um, they flew something around uh, 43 knots, which is like 80 kilometers per hour. And that's like a pretty, pretty slow speed to me uh, because I was told, and I totally agree with that, speaking about the experience I gained, that flying a ridge at 70 knots, like uh, 130 kilometers per hour, is like a really, really safe, uh, safe, uh, speed to fly because in a rough air it's it's really not that good to to have only 80 kilometers per hour so I think this was like the main main issue that um, that they experienced the the stall 
And uh, secondly, because uh, the author was kind of trying to explain why it happened. And uh, so firstly, I think it was the low speed they had because 80 kilometers per hour is really low speed for flying mm -hmm. rich. And also in the video, I think there was, uh, it was visible that there was a small pass or something. And um, they, they did the pass crossing. And when there is always a thing and turbulence, like on the either sides of the pass. So the air kind of meets from two directions. So it's obvious that uh, there will be some kind of a sink or turbulence. So maybe they just did this pass crossing with this low speed and that's why the stall happened. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, that's, that's kind of my opinion when I watched that. Well, he took the and correct, um, he took the correct, the, the the proper corrective measures right so he put the he put the stick down and then turned away yeah. from from the yeah. um and it's funny it's you know it says ridge in the title when i when i first look at the um you know the video it to me it, it it's almost more of like a a vertical cliff face i mean typically when, yeah. I, when I, <laughs> to me to me it when, seems when i hear the word ridge i'm I'm picturing something out, you know, like where Chuck is from, where you have these kind of, you know, gentle rolling hills. And even in G. Dale's um, book, when he draws a picture of of most of the yeah. ridge lift, um, and of course, you know, he's from the UK, and, and it, it probably is a bit like that. But um, but yeah, I'm looking at this, and it, it looked looked really um, like a, a pretty steep. Um, cliff face yeah. and i've always wondered because i've never flown in in anything like that i've always wondered um yeah how the air behaves when you have um such a such a almost vertical uh surface like that yeah well uh once i remember uh it was during like uh what one of the wave camps uh where we didn't fly because the weather was pretty um not that friendly. Uh, I I won't use bad uh, won't use bad language. Sorry. So uh, the weather really didn't cooperate. So we spent most of the days uh, on ground. And once we were like thinking, oh my god, how the how the air behaves like that. And also, uh, and we were trying um, how it's called shisha, like uh, uh, smoking smoking from the pipe. And uh, we blew the smoke uh, through like a different obstacles, and we're thinking how the how the air works. So, mm -hmm. and I and we also tried uh, like a wall or just a paper uh, on the table. And um, I think well, it's also obvious that it's different from a, like a cliff or something, but. Uh, it was pretty interesting to see uh, how how the smoke behaved when it's just got round the cliff like a paper. And uh, I don't know actually how to how to explain how it looked like because some some of the smoke went backwards and rolled back, and some of yeah. the smoke went like up the paper and over the paper. So it really depends on the wind direction, I would say. And probably because I saw some videos 
of uh, Matt Wright, Baleka, who um, flew uh, the White Cliffs in the UK. So um, that was pretty easy because uh, mm-hmm. the wind blew like from, from the sea and it was pretty straight direction to the cliffs. So it worked pretty well. But speaking about those uh, steep ridges, if, if we may call it ridge, uh, in the right. mountains, uh, I think it, it might be affected uh, like from the valley, uh, like from, from most of the other ridges that are uh, at the other side of the valley. So um, mm-hmm. it's really hard to, uh, for me, it is really hard to uh, imagine how the, the air kind of works or behaves in such cliffs. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the mountainous area and not like from the sea in the UK, uh, in the UK White Cliffs. So it is really good point to to think about it. Maybe maybe there was some kind of not a pass, but maybe maybe um, other like nuances uh, speaking about the wind direction. So God knows. We we, we, yeah, we, well, we would need to try to 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 find out. <laughs> Aerox, the number one in portable and engineered aviation oxygen systems, your source for FAA-approved oxygen masks and portable oxygen systems, and now introducing the Aerox Pro 2 Plus Flight Bag portable oxygen system. Small, lightweight, and simple to use, the Pro 2 Plus is perfect for the occasional user who wants the flexibility to access higher altitudes without worry about flying impaired. Now available at Aerox Distributors and at Aerox.com. So remember, our friends at Aerox, engineered for aviators. So last, last but not least on our, on our video list, and, and speaking of uh, pretty steep, big um, mountains in the Alps, the, uh, the title of this next one, uh, Glider Outlands in Alpine Valley. Um, and I just, I remember the first time I watched this, um, my, my eyes got very big and I was, um, I just, yeah, I felt the, the glider was really boxed into this pretty um, confined um, area, or at least it would probably feel like that to me in the, in the cockpit. Um, and I, yeah, I just started to feel kind of claustrophobic, but get this giant ring of of uh, mountains and fields that didn't look particularly um, big from up in the air. And, and you were just talking about the effects of um, valley and and mountain winds in um, when we were talking about that cliff face in Italy. And then, and, and I'm just thinking, well, how the hell would you have any idea what the winds are doing when you're basically surrounded by, you know, giant mountains, um, and, you know, and, and, and there's not like, you know, wind socks or tetrahedrons, um, down there to really help you much. Um, but, but anyway, kind of fast forward to the ending, uh, the guy makes a, a, a great landing. Um, but it also wasn't in a field that I was looking at in the video when, when he's descending. Um, but I, I just thought it was a, a really cool, video and 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 he stayed really calm and i think he made some good decisions but uh 
I don't know. What did what did you what did you think of this one? Well, definitely to me, I totally totally uh, agree with you. It was a view and a situation that is like most of the glider pilots' nightmare. So uh, when I saw it, I was like, oh my god! So is he thermaling now? So it will be a last safe, and then he will he will fly to the volley, or or, or what is going to happen? So. Um, uh, well, when I first thing that I that I uh, was uh, trying to find out or what I was like searching for were the fields or free spots to land, and obviously there were many uh, many usable fields to land, and I quite liked uh, the um, the author's commentary because he sp- he kind of spoke to himself uh, in flight. And, um, well, when you have some time, uh, it is great to talk to yourself and say out loud the idea you have. And um, maybe hearing the idea out loud helps to, like, rethink uh, if it's a good idea, because when you, when you say it loud, it's real. So um, this was pretty, pretty amazing, because we knew what he was thinking in the video and uh, mm-hmm. we could clearly see what's like below him. And um, while speaking about the wind, um, this is this is a situation that w- when you can't really rely on the calcul- uh, like wind calculations uh, in your navigation. So it was a good point from him to watch how the wind blows on the ground uh, because. Obviously, as you said, it gets really tricky in the valley uh, or between the mountains in the mountainous area. So mm-hmm. um, he was trying to find out how the wind blows on ground. So this was pretty great. Also, uh, he pointed out the air, like maintaining the airspeed, maintaining the, air, or the airspeed. And um, in such stressful situations, and also when lower than the mountain peaks, uh, the airspeed is the key because as you don't see the horizon, uh, the horizon, uh, you don't have anything to measure the turns and the airspeed. So this was also a good point from him, like to himself. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really a Shakespeare question he, he mentioned. Uh, land uphill when downwind, uh, or land downhill uh, upwind. So I think he chose a, uh, he he chose wise, and uh, he he chose, he, he chose an uphill landing, right? As yeah, 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 yeah. And um, he also mentioned because he had like two options, as I understood. Mm-hmm. Um, I I kind of cho- chose the the same field he chose. So it was some kind of a competition for me if I chose wise or not. <laughs> right, right. But, uh, but I chose the same field as he did. And uh, he also had some, some kind of a second, second choice. Um, and he pointed out himself that, that it's really not that good idea to, to land downwind. So I think he, he handled the situation amazingly. And... He sticked to the first plan, not change, not changing it last minute, which is uh, like really important uh, in those stressful situations because right. you have to be really sure with your uh, with your solution you you come up with. 
So he handled the situation amazingly. And yeah, honestly, honestly, it was terrifying to me to watch. But uh, yeah, another great piece to, to, to learn uh, something more. Yeah, I, I, that was it. Was a really cool video, and thanks to uh, thanks to um, the gliding goat on, on Instagram, uh, Joe Capra for that uh, for that video link. I had I hadn't seen that before, so that was really cool. So I think we'll jump uh, right into the the lightning round. Have you you've uh, have you heard? Any of our lightning round segments on previous episodes? You kind of know how this goes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we we did we did a few lightning rounds with Chuck. So um, hopefully, hopefully, I won't prolong that much because I'm pretty talk active speaking about gliding. So sorry for that. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. Um, it's actually been a lot of fun. Um, since we since we started doing this um I've, I've always enjoyed the um kind of the banter with with pilots as we as we rip through these so so first up um who are two or three female pilots you most look up to or think the racing community should take more notice of well it's really hard to choose only two or three women pilots because each each of the women pilots i know uh, inspire me in uh, in um, a different way. So I would say all of all of the glider pilot, like female glider pilots, I know. But the biggest uh, motivational pilot to me is Elena Netusholova, Czech glider pilot. She is really amazing glider pilot. She knows really well how to how to prepare her, herself for flying. So she's like really the greatest mention. All right. And number two, if you could pick just one and only one, uh, what glider port or region would be at the top of your uh, wish list of places to go soaring and why? I can't only pick one place. I'm sorry. <laughs> there are many so, so places uh, I would love to soar. I would love to visit Australia again, New Zealand, Namibia, California, even Hawaii and their exciting wave conditions, the Ons. So all of those places are on my top list. Number three, what's the highest altitude you've ever been in a glider and where was it at? And you probably answered that earlier when you were talking about wave camp, I'm assuming. Yeah, well, it was in Czech Republic, obviously, during wave flying uh, in the Yeseniki area. It was back in 2017 when I gained uh, my diamond height, and it was uh, six thousand meters and eighty sorry six thousand and eighty eight hundred meters QNH. So this was the highest height I've ever been to. All right, number four. What's the longest solo out and return flight you've ever done, and where was it, and how long was the flight? Well, I didn't really fly out and return flights. I enjoy triangles more uh, as it is something more challenging. Um, out and return flights were usually abandoned triangle or polyg polygon declarations. So, but maybe it was 100, uh, 100 kilometers or something. Okay. Number five. We ask this to pretty much every pilot that comes on, but for female pilots, maybe there's some different solutions here. Uh, P2, P-bag, diaper, hold it for as long as you can. <laughs> I used to hold it, but it wasn't pretty, pretty good idea. <laughs> um, 
I now have a special toilet with a small pump and a small tank, so I don't uh, splash the unwanted all over the glider. And in the wave, I have uh, a diaper, um, as it is uh, a better and more comfortable, but there is always a big self-denial to use it. And um, freezing your bottom off in minus three, th uh, 30 degrees of Celsius uh, with wet diaper is really not that pleasant. <laughs> so um, it is like the, the, the long-lasting question we, we, we have to solve, uh, speaking about, uh, like, female pilots and uh, female gliding all right number uh where are we number six if you could fly your glider at only one bank angle other than zero degrees level what would it be um i like the thermal uh, more sharp returns as we probably mentioned earlier on so definitely more more sharp than less depending on the thermal okay. strength and i know you have trouble picking one but yeah, I do. <laughs> favorite type of lift, all things equal, thermal wave ridge or convergence? Uh, you would hate me for this uh, answer, but each one has a place in my heart. And uh, they are so different, but yet all of them are same pure joy. So, um, yeah, I can't pick one. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> Number eight. What is the strangest or most spectacular thing you've ever seen while in a glider cockpit? Well, um, each flight is spe spectacular to me, but um, the most exciting thing I saw was a funnel cloud during a flight. Uh, it was a pr pretty strange experience, and I would love to say that I saw something like more exceptional, like UFO, but I only found crop circles in the north of the Czech Republic during a competition, and uh, that was a pretty nice thermal, so thanks, E.T. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, number nine. What is the worst place you've landed out, and uh, why did it suck? I remember that pretty well. It was uh, during uh, Junior Worlds back in 2019. I outlanded on a really short, soft and dusty field. It wasn't just retrieving the glider, but nearly excavating it. Um, I laid it, landed more to the side of the field, so it took us only five meters to the travel trailer, but it felt like really endless. And there was also a French pilot who landed more in the middle of the field, so the excavations took a little while. And it was a really tough and really dusty experience. So this was the worst place, I guess. All right. Number 10, money, no object, and you could only spend it on a glider. What dream glider would you buy and what do you like about it? And for this one, you can't say all of them. You do have to pick one. <laughs> okay. I will pick one. Um, as I haven't really tried the top gliders uh, at the moment, uh, so for now I can say that it would be LS818 with no winglets on 50 meter wingspan and maybe the fast engine. Okay. Number 11. Uh, your favorite glider port accommodations tent, RV, local flea bag motel, sofa in the clubhouse, or in the back of your car. Uh, with a sleeping bag? Well, I love sleeping under a wing outside, but during a competition, I try to maintain some kind of comfort during um, 
during the 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 flying so i'm in a tent and also i'm a regular girl with lots lots of stuff traveling so um the tent is perfect for me and at my home airfield i have a tiny house with comfortable bed and um as well, I live five minutes away from my home airfield, so I can decide where, where to stay. Jess Soaring, the makers of the Glider Sim Pro Sailplane Simulator Cockpit, would like to congratulate German pilot Ben Fest for his recent victory in the first ever FAI-sanctioned aviation esports event in history, the Sailplane World Grand Prix, which Ben won after several days of exciting competition against some of the top Condor soaring pilots from around the world. If you are looking for a best-in-class dedicated sailplane simulator cockpit for Condor or Microsoft Flight Sim, look no further than the Just Soaring Glider Sim Pro. Check them out at JustSoaring.com or at Just.Soaring on Instagram. Alrighty, and next, um, what is your favorite flight computer? Uh, irrespective of what you currently have in your glider, um, just what would be your ideal flight computer um, vario combination and what do you like about it? That's probably the easiest question for me. It's Alex uh, 9000. It's the most easier flight computer I ever flew with. It's nice to handle. There are also uh, the stick controls. The variometer works perfectly. So this is my favorite one so far. And next, if you had to rank various weather products available, um soaring pilots um which one would you rank overall uh the, the best solution well i would probably do uh, a small advert uh to matthew scudder because i'm really satisfied with skyside weather forecast uh so i use it regularly for for two years maybe uh, also, there is an honorable mention uh of another weather forecast which I use to compare the SkySide forecast, and that is FlyMed. Uh, it is developed actually by my wingman from my home airfield, Jan Horak. And uh, he works on this himself. He tries the best. And SkySide Weather and FlyMed, uh, those two are probably the best forecasts for glider pilots I've ever used. Excellent. And we're getting close to the end, second to the last. You are at the gas station somebody comes up to you and asks what's in the trailer you say a mini drag racing car a mini submarine a large model rocket uh, or just be boring and tell them it's a glider um i have another option it's a dead giraffe of course <laughs> <laughs> okay good nice and last but not least um you get back to your, you get back to your pad at the end of a long, soaring day or a competition. What's the first thing you do? Take a shower, uh, drink a cold beer or other beverage of choice. Um, look at your flight trace and start making notes of what you did wrong, or flop on the bed and take a nap while still wearing your bucket hat. Well, I usually spend quite a long time at the glider or at the trailer after flight. So firstly, I send, send the IGC file. I have a beer. I clean the glider. I derigged or tie down the glider. I sit there for a while and just really 
uh, or replay the flight in my head and think about what was right and what was wrong decision. Then I have a shower uh, and then during dinner, I usually compare my IGC files uh, with day winners or pilots I remember um, did a different decision than me. So this is like a regular, regular stuff I do after flight. A regular routine. All right. All right. Well, that was fun. And uh, well, good to have you back on the on the podcast. and hopefully we can catch up with you maybe uh, this time next year and do kind of a look back on the the 2022 season. And um, we're wishing you the, the best for the upcoming competition season. And, um, Thank you very much. Thank and uh, happy soaring and stay safe yeah absolutely stay safe too and thank you again for having me on the podcast it's it's um and it's really great honor for me uh and i love to speak about gliding i could do that for hours (laughs) so it will be my pleasure to catch up with you next year and um have a kind of a retrospective what what happens and it will be really great to talk again all right well thanks again barbara and uh and we will catch up um, next year. Yeah, let's catch up next year. And thank you all for listening to my bad jokes. <laughs> hey, it's Chuck. Just wanted to jump in here before we close the show and thank Mitch and Barbara for bringing us that fun chat. You know, I really enjoyed the discussion of those soaring YouTube videos. You can find the links to those if you haven't seen them yet in the show notes. And if you have an interesting soaring video you've seen recently, We would love for you to share it with us, and you can do that by dropping us an email with the link there. That's chuck at soaringthesky.com. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, and happy soaring. If you would like to say hi and let us know where you are enjoying the podcast, we would love to hear from you. If you are a glider pilot and want to share your aviation journey, contact us at chuck at soaringthesky.com or send us a message on our website at soaringthesky.com and Chuck will get in touch with you. We hope you join us next time for another soaring adventure here on Soaring the Sky, a Glider Pilots podcast. Soaring the Sky is written and produced by Chuck Fulton, co-producer Mitch Thompson. Original music for the podcast was written and produced by Kim Spangler. Graphic design for the podcast was created by Zachary Fulton. Voiceover work was done by Michelle Perez.